Recording in progress. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 646. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. I threw Kathy a curveball just now, and I said, let's record this on Zoom and upload it to our Vimeo account. Now, I've always been a big advocate of um, hey, we're a podcast, so there's no reason to see us. Mm-hmm. But I see more and more podcasters record their stuff, and it doesn't need any more equipment. We have cameras part of our laptop. Like, there's no production that needs to happen. And I know we're going to play a clip from Michael Keaton, and I can share the screen. So if there's anybody out there that wants to see <laughs> Kathy and I talk well, into a microphone... Don't you think... Because of the summit, yeah. because, I mean, I personally have been doing a lot of interviews on Zoom, so I feel like this is not, and Team Zen, we do this all the time. Right. You know? I just wonder, are there listeners I'm, out there? I'm turning off this light. That's the first thing I'm doing. I don't like it. Um, I, <laughs> I don't like it. Are there, so email me, Todd at ZenParentingRadio.com, if you think that, yeah, I'd love to see you and Kathy talk into a microphone. that's so boring, but. I think it's boring too, but I know that I sometimes watch certain podcasters on YouTube. So I don't know. And especially, like I said, Michael Keaton gave this really powerful um, uh, speech at the SAG Awards last night. We're going to play a clip of it. And sometimes it'd be nicer not just to hear Michael Keaton, but to see Michael Keaton. Hmm. So I'll try my best to share my screen so that you can see that. Now, the one thing is, is we don't really produce this show that much because we just kind of go with it, but you can't like take a bunch of time. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, I took a lot of time on that. So I'll cut that time out. You can't do that. It's going to make it a little more complicated. So it might be a little rougher on the video, (laughs) but the podcast will remain high quality. Yeah, because I have a new microphone in front of me. Yes. Can you guys see? It's yeah. so fancy. It is. Um, okay, so we uh, obviously start with uh, the Zen Parenting Moment. Uh-huh. Kathy puts it out every Friday. Um, this one was called Finding Ourselves, and the quote you have is, all you have to do is write one true sentence. Write the truest sentence that you know. And who's that written by? I think that's Hemingway. Yes, it is a guy I've never read a single word from. Really? Uh-uh. Hmm. uh, Didn't you have to in school, though? I don't think so. I think I accidentally missed him because a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of Walt Whitman, and but I think I somehow missed Hemingway, and I'm okay with that. Are you? He's probably a good writer, though. (laughs) You think? (laughs) He's been around for a while. Um, I'm trying to think. I took no. I took. I took a class in college called Hawthorne. Mm. So we read all of Nathaniel Hawthorne's work. But I I like those guys on the East Coast. um, The American. uh, it wasn't Whitman, it, Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Ralph, Emerson. I feel yeah. like there's one more in there. Yeah, so Thoreau, Emerson, and... There's probably a bunch, but... I, I and dug, they were like thought leaders. They, and I dug what they said and how they said it. Yes. Well, they were kind of ahead of their time. People didn't really like them in yeah. their time. It was which, understandable. Shakespeare, who I also... I love certain Shakespeare's stuff, but uh, it was hard to understand, whereas these... These East Coast guys were a little bit easier for my high school brain to get my arms around it. So. Do you have a pen? Um, I do have a pen. <clears throat> thank you. There you go. Just throw it at me. Okay, thank you. I just, for some reason, Todd cleaned up the podcast office. I was gone this weekend. Sort of. And I came home to a cleaned up podcast office, so my pen 
is not here, which is fine because I appreciate the cleaning. Why did you write this uh, Zen Parenting Moment? Um, You know, I was thinking about, you know, I've been focusing a lot on my book and I'm writing again and I'm writing these moments all the time, writing, writing, writing. And I was thinking about how the first time, like in 2008, I found an editor that someone had suggested and I sent them like a first draft of my first self-published book, which came out in like 2009. And she sent it back to me and I couldn't read it because she had like crossed everything out. And some of it warranted like, you know, you need an editor, by the way, everybody who's writing, you need, if you're putting something out there in the world, like a book, editing is essential because people find errors and stuff. But it wasn't just grammar. It was like everything I had said she was like, no, you got to say it this way. You got to say it this way. So that was my first thing. And then I don't know if you remember, but do you remember I was in a writing group for like yes, five years? Yes. And it was very helpful. Um, it was when the girls were little and I used to meet at Panera with these women and it was really helpful. But they would always say things to me like, you can't write that because nobody talks that way. And I would always come home to you and say, it really bothers me because I talk this way. Mm-hmm. And they know I do because I talk with them. But what they were saying is write in a way like the way everybody else writes, because we have to have this sense of agreement about this is, you know, this is how we write. And while I understand that, you've got to have rules. You and I have talked about this before. Like before you break rules, you have to have, have rules. rules. Right. Um, but then my favorite writers, they don't write like other people. Mm-hmm. They like write, they, they write the way they speak. Yeah. Any examples of who pops to mind? Um, I think about Cheryl Strait. I think about Danny Shapiro. I think about Anne Morrill Lindbergh. I think about um, whose book was I just? Uh, Martha Beck. I can hear her voice when I read it. Um, is anybody that you're like reading what? And then comedic writers are so good at this. Like yeah. you know Amy Poehler's book and Tina Fey's book, and you know where you're reading it, and they're not. They're they're using. You can tell it's them. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, and David Sedaris's books, you know, like that kind of thing. And and if we all just try to do the exact same thing, then we are just kind of the way we do in the world. We are saying there's one way to be and we're all going to have that narrow paradigm. Yeah. We're all going to like it. And, and it doesn't mean someone needs to be better or worse. It's not about comparing and saying, I'm a better writer than this person or this person's doing it right or wrong. It's about why do you write? And if I am writing to fall in line with a bunch of other people and sound the same as a bunch of other people, why am I writing? Right. That makes no sense to me. You're just conforming yeah. to the norm. Yeah. And, and and the whole idea of writing is to not, to say something new and different. And the thing you have to then accept though, and I say this in the last line, is I may not find what someone calls traditional success. I already feel successful. You and I are like, and not successful financially. I mean, like, I love what I do. You and I have this fun time on this podcast. I love to write. I love to send out newsletters. So I'm not... I'm already content, yeah. but some may look and say, well, you didn't, you weren't on this list or you didn't do this. You didn't find the traditional success metrics. But when I'm writing, if I'm finding myself, then to me, that's why I'm doing it. So I've already won. And these are big, deep, you know, things, but that's why I wanted to write it. All right. I basically just spoke the whole thing to you. So if anybody wants to read Kathy's blogs and parenting moment every mm-hmm. Friday, just go uh, to our webpage and subscribe once yeah. a week. You have more light on your face than I do. I got a baseball hat on. Is that why? I don't know. I mean, I have less light on my face. Huh. Because like some... Since oh, it's we're probably on... the, the, where the 
lights are in the room. Yeah, I'm going to turn this down a little bit. Okay, there we go. I don't know. Um, so we want to talk about grief. And I pulled I up uh, an archive. I did a, I plugged in grief uh-huh. in our podcast. So if you go to zenparentingradio.com and go to the archive page, you can write any word and I put in the word grief. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, you know, because I tag topics mm-hmm. in each podcast. Um, and I found one from March of 2020, and it's called Grief is What You Are Feeling. Yeah, I remember that podcast. I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember it being, I mean, I remember we talked about grief, but I remember it being a good one for you and I to do. I don't pod, know. Podcast 540, Kathy and Todd discussed an article in the Harvard Law yeah. Review titled, The Discomfort You Are Feeling is Grief. Yeah. David Kessler explains how we all we are all feeling anticipatory grief during this pandemic and how to find hope and meaning, blah, 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 blah. And I wanted to include David Kessler in this conversation today, yeah. Um, So, and we, Kathy and I, before we went on, we were talking about the grief of, you know, parenting. There's a lot of things that happen Mm -hmm. to our kids that we, um, I, struggle with. Mm -hmm. And then there's the global grief, and um, this is going to date this podcast immediately, but as we're recording this, it's February 28th, 2022. Mm-hmm. Last Friday, Russia uh, invaded Ukraine, mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of things going on. So we're going to not talk about either one of them specifically. We're going to speak in general terms and probably bring some of our own stories around it. So. Yeah. I think that, you know, I guess we're just going to revisit this topic, and, and I do recommend going back and listening to that podcast from 2020 because I think we get really into the um, the research and we get really into the statistics and we and I, I kind of remember going deep on it. Today I want to talk about it more in a um, how we manage it in our own lives like accept that what we're experiencing is grief. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of similar to what I was talking about with writing is that sometimes we're like we we want to just like do what everybody else is doing and we just we don't want to we kind of just want to fall in line and we don't want to deal with the things going on in our lives at home or we don't or we want to avoid what's going on in the world or we want to not pay attention because it hurts too much and and what i want to say is there is a place for that mm-hmm. um i think that like one thing this weekend i i there's just been a lot of things where i've been noticing that i'm grieving and this weekend, I went away for a few days because what I realized is best for me and everybody around me is I need some time to like own that mm-hmm. and to it, it, not to get over it, but to be like, um, I need to like have time to feel mm-hmm. where people aren't asking me for things and telling, and, and that's very rare. Yeah. <laughs> um, like we had this on the calendar for what, like a couple months. Like it's not something I'm just like, I'm leaving. Yeah. Um, but it is just a couple days where I can be like, okay, I can think, I can feel, and I don't feel like I'm moving on to the next thing. And I have always been a big fan in concept to mm-hmm. making sure you go get your time away. Mm-hmm. The the reality of it though sometimes is it's not easy for you to get away. It never. Because of the responsibilities. Right. And then, you know, there was a lot of things that were going on last Thursday when yeah. you were leaving. Yeah. Your mom was moving from one room to yeah. another. There was some stress about that. There was the global news and yeah. our kids were going through some things. And I was worried mm-hmm. that you may, might be like, I can't go. Well, I'm now, always going to say I can't go. And I'm not saying because I'm playing a game. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I love Gift from the Sea by Anne Morrow Lindbergh is she explains this concept. And again, this her book was written in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this still holds true today. 
when you have children or you're a caregiver, because I'm in the middle place where, you know, caregiver on both sides, right? Plus feeling like a caregiver to the world because most people do. You will feel like these people or experiences are like your, like what she says in the book is my children are like limbs. Mm -hmm. And when I'm about to leave them, it feels as if I'm amputating a limb. Mm -hmm. And then once she, in her book, she goes to the beach, you know, and stays on the beach by herself. And once she's there and she starts walking the beach and picking up the shells, she's better. Mm -hmm. But the amputation hurts. And I think, you know, you've known me, we've been married almost 20 years and you've watched me with this process of me going away. And you know that that's what happens. And I'm not saying that it's a game. I'm just saying it's a process. Like leaving is not easy. And so, of course, that means, but I kept saying to you, I'm going to go. Yeah. Do you remember? I, and I actually, at the end, I said, help me get out of here. Yeah. Like, help me put stuff in the car and go. At no point was I really worried, but I had anticipatory worry. Like, you're like, you know what? I can't go. And I'm like, that's not a good idea. Right. Because you need this. Right. And I also was, I wasn't expecting the Ukraine situation. Right. And I read some things um, online what are you putting up there, baby? That's Anne Morrow, Morrow Lindbergh right it there. Is. So I'm just playing here. And if you're watching the YouTube, there's a picture <laughs> of her and her husband. What's her husband's Charles. name? Charles. Charles. And they're both important people, but I forget how or why. Uh, have you seen the movie The Aviator with Leo DiCaprio? Yeah. He's Charles Lindbergh. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. She was also a pilot. Yeah, nobody knows that, Nobody though. knows that. Uh, totally different show. <laughs> Um, but Should do a show on her because this is Kathy's like, Kathy's got a lot of inspirational teachers, but yeah. this woman comes up more often than anybody. She is the beginning of my book. I have her quote. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Like the very first important quote? Yeah. Oh, there it is. It says, the shape of my life is, of course, determined by many things, my background and childhood, my mind and its education, my conscience and its pressures, my heart and its desires. Mm. That's... That's Zen parenting. Sums it up. Um, I don't think she would have used Zen parenting as her words at that time, but that's kind of the whole gist. Um, So anyway, that's why it's hard for me to go. But I know, but it's all, and it's it's, like talk about grief and acceptance. Like that's kind of part of the process. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, um, it's kind of a short, okay, something I want to be really, careful of here as we talk about this is because grief is a real thing and people depending on their experiences can have really acute grief and it can um you know they can really walk through the stages and again the stages are not linear you go back and forth in a really deep intense way which i think we all have Mm -hmm. anybody who has lost someone Um, you know, dealt with death, dealt with a trauma in their life, uh, a a major disappointment, loss of job, whatever, or just things going on in our world or the pandemic, you've gone through the grief steps. And I don't want to minimize that real true um, grief process. But what I want to do is apply the knowledge to more everyday things 
only so we can, again, it's a deeper understanding of ourselves. Like if I was at a conference about grief, I don't think people would be like, yeah, let's, let's not apply that to the fact that you couldn't get your car started this morning. Right. I totally get that. And I'm not trying to shift the norm of what mm-hmm. grief is. What I'm trying to say is if you understand the way we process things, um, you then aren't so self-shaming about it. Mm-hmm. Like you're not so like, where did this come from? Or what's wrong with me? Because as soon as we trust who we are, as soon as we trust our feelings and understand why they come up, there's not so much, there's no shame. Yeah. There's no like, oh, I'm different than everybody else. Or it's more like, oh yeah, that's well, kind of how it goes. What I would say is now, you know, they say knowledge is power. Yeah. I would say in this case, applied yeah. now, knowledge right. is power. And what I want to do with your permission is... Um, not go through all the steps like one by one, but just remind people what sure. the steps are. Absolutely. And I want to ask you a question about it. So yeah. the first one is denial. The second one is anger. Uh-huh. Third one is bargaining. The fourth one is depression. And the last one is acceptance. And yeah. I think you said they're non-linear. Does that mean I can start with depression? Well, like, I, I don't understand that. What it means is you're going to go back and forth. Okay. And that sometimes, usually, I mean, they're... I think you could take any situation and someone could say, I was feeling kind of like before the, you can kind of see something coming where maybe you're kind of sad. Mm -hmm. And then when it really comes true, then you're in denial. Mm -hmm. Like there are ways to map this out where any of them could be the beginning. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, it's usually once something hits Mm -hmm. where you have the experience and our natural inclination is to first deny it's happening. So I feel like uh, for our listeners Uh or viewers in this case, um, you know, I invite them to think of anything that they've had to grieve over and it could be huge or Mm -hmm. it could be something small because it might be easier to apply whatever you and I are about to discuss through that lens. Right. Maybe um, less daunting yeah. to kind of, and, and I think Todd and I are going to talk through different kind of experiences. Yeah. Um, because, and they all have a different timeline. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was with my, I did a thing at the library this week, um, and some women from my women's circle came and we had like a really quick conversation about complicated grief, which uh, there's a few of my friends in women's circle who are also clinicians and they were kind of telling me you know, their experience with complicated grief or their clinical experience with it. And really it's just the, you know, summing it up here, but it's like a grief that has gone on longer Mm -hmm. than the average six months, which is what's in the DSM-5. And, you know, I think that, and there, and I totally get that. I get the boundaries around the distinction. Like I, I don't disagree with that. But I also think that grief is more interesting than that. Like it, it, we, it can sometimes come up at really strange times, it can come up years later. Well, and, and I don't pretend to be an expert on this. As a matter of fact, this is kind of newer to me, even mm-hmm. though I know we've talked about it. But denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Like, which one of these is when you cry? <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, there's... Depression. Gr- depression. Sadness. It's like... And also, let me go back about talking about complicated grief. There's other pieces of it in the DSM about how it also means that you're having difficulty... like. They're distinguishing it by saying you have difficulty getting up in the morning. You have difficulty like managing your daily life. Yeah. And that's what makes it, that's what makes it complicated grief yeah. is we all have grief, meaning I could cry about something that happened 10 years ago tomorrow. Yeah. That doesn't mean I have complicated grief. It just means that I, you know, had that awareness. But they're talking about how someone is still struggling with their day-to-day activities past 
probably a long period of sure. time. I get okay, it. does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because um, there is like a clinical diagnosis okay. there. So you can cry at any stage, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like there, denial isn't blatant where there's nothing else to it. Right. Denial can have all feelings mm-hmm. in it, but what denial is by definition is you are not accept, you're not accepting this is true. Right. This can't be happening. Yeah. And some you of it- You could be sad and you could be crying and say, there's no way this there's is happening. There's no way this is happening. Yeah. And that can be like, I felt that way after the election in 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took me like days to like come yeah, back you, you to myself. in denial and um, a wreck. Completely. Yeah. I'm like, this can't be real. Okay. Um, I have me. felt that way when we, like, for example- my dad, when he was dying, it was over a long period of time. Your mom, mm-hmm. it was one weekend. So we had moments of this can't be happening. Yeah. Complete. We were looking at what was happening, but if we were to like step out in the hallway or maybe go get a, a, a nice tea or something, we'd be like, wait a second, where are we? Like there is a sense of really not being able to integrate what we're experiencing. Well, this might send us down a rabbit hole and, okay. and we don't need to go down there. But when my mom went in the hospital, she never came out of it. I remember thinking, I I now think in retrospect, the hardest moment was I was hugging her and I realized three or four days before she died, she wasn't going to leave the hospital. And that was the hardest moment. The the moments between that and her death were in a way easier. Like I was in the most misery. I was in the most sadness when I finally accepted, because I didn't have any choice. Like the logic, the the medical information we were getting is yeah. like, she's not leaving. And it was weird. So I, I think I bring that up because part of me is like, okay, this is like a two-week process. You could do all this in an hour. Mm-hmm. Not that you want to. Well, but- yes and no. Like, I think that your memory of it yes. is that. But I think if you were really to walk through it, because we were like, I'll just stay with your mom. Like, you did experience anger. Do you remember the doctor took us in the hallway? For sure. Okay. And you were like, this is not going to happen. Yeah. And you were also angry with the fact that, I don't want to get into, you know, mm-hmm. family stuff, but this wasn't happening or this wasn't happening. And there was when we when denial is not working or mm-hmm. we have kind of moved through that stage where we've integrated the piece of that mm-hmm. this is happening our next response mm-hmm. of anger is kind of like well i'm not going to feel that this is happening yeah you know what i mean and you may have felt that two weeks after your mom died well that's my point like i could have gone through denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance in that first day and then had a whole nother round of it That's the what, next yes. day. And you could have jumped to acceptance and then gone back to sadness and then gone from sadness back to denial. Like this can't be happening. Well, and even acceptance. I remember the moment I accepted it. That's when I was crying the most. Right. Right. Which is, and again, this gets into semantics, but it also could have been when you moved from denial yeah. into anger yeah. or you move from denial back into depression. Yeah. Like, Right. You don't need to, I think one of the things, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with this, this grief process that we always discuss in a shared in medical school and everything. And she was really, I write about this in my book, in Zen Parenting, there's a whole section on grief. And she was really dismayed that people took this, you know, it's a, it's a very Western approach to medicine, right? These are the steps. steps. These are the stages. This is the framework. And she's like, that's not really how it always goes. Mm -hmm. This is just typical. She had worked with people grieving and it kind of, these are the stages that can happen, but it doesn't mean you move through them and you're clean. So let's pivot. Let's say one of our daughters is struggling with something 
um, let's pivot to how us, the listeners, yeah. myself, being informed about these stages, how yeah. does this help us, equip us to better understand our kid and be a better parent? Okay. So I think what we need to accept is when there's this state, and, and a lot of people don't get, get past denial, mm-hmm. by the way, with things going on with their kids. Yeah. So the first stage, like say, say your kid comes home and says, you know, they tried out for soccer and they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, again, I'm using grief for something that's going on at home. Sure. I understand this framework is smaller. And you are like, what? That can't be. You know, you did the summer camps. You mm-hmm. did the travel team. What? This can't be. This this isn't happening. This is not right. Oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. And so initially it may be like, no, there's there's got to be something yeah. else going on. There's got to be something else we can do. What's the typical next stage? This this isn't okay. This is not okay. And I will not, you know, I, this, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to make phone calls, whatever. Okay. Let me just stop there. Denial and anger can be very interconnected. At least that's been my personal experience with the people I work with. Cause a lot of times we go back and Mm -hmm. forth between the two because anger is super uncomfortable. Okay. And so we kind of want to jump from it kind of fast. The one that comes after anger is bargaining, Mm -hmm. where we try and kind of negotiate what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, yeah, you didn't make the team, but you can like sit on the bench, right? Like you can, you know, you're trying, or there's going to be another tryout, right? Like you're trying to like bargain with what's going on because you cannot accept it. I think the interesting thing about denial, and this gets so complicated because it can sound like we've walked through all the stages already that we're already at acceptance. But really, for me, denial has always been the hardest stage of grief mm-hmm. because that's where imagine that you are kind of like going through life and you have like a shell around you of some kind. And then all of a sudden that shell gets cracked and you have to like figure out how to, first of all, you're so upset that that happened. Yeah. And you're like, this can't be, and what am I going to do, and who am I going to be, and how am I going to act, and who's my kid going to be? And what? And denial is, it's like this painful um, integration yeah. that we have to, it's, to your point, like that the first time, the, the thing that I um, talk to people a lot about is that like, when you wake up in the morning after a trauma, mm-hmm. and you realize that it really happened. Yeah. Oh yeah, you yeah totally. I remember getting grounded till I was. It was yeah. my birthday because of some stupid thing. Yeah, and it was October. My birthday's in May. I remember waking up yeah. being like, "Was that all a dream?" Oh yeah. Or when a loved one dies. A like, loved one dies. Oh, please or let that be. A when dream. you get bad news before bed, and you know, so many of us are like, oh, "I'll just deal with it in the morning," and then we wake up and we're like, "Oh yeah, my god!" Like this real. is so heavy, and I. I call them kick in the stomach mornings where you wake up and you have to negotiate your new reality. You have to, and it can be, you know, for us parents, it can be something small, like, like our kid not, you know, getting an F on a test or, you know, not getting on a team or their friend being unkind. Like when I'm saying it's small, it, it's not small for our heart. Mm -hmm. It's small in the big picture of the world. And if we can expand back, like that's a big part of Zen parenting is let's see our lives clearly that this is not going to be the end of anything. But for our hearts, it hurts. Yeah. And it's and so I think that denial stage is I have so many of them, Todd. They're so in like the integration of it also makes it commit to memory. Yeah. Okay. So it's like that moving from denial to the next stage. And maybe we're moving from denial to sadness and we'll go back to anger later. Well, one quick thing about denial, I think this is when we 
I think another version of denial is numbing out. For sure. Right? Like For sure. getting drunk, yeah. getting high, yeah. not looking at going it. Going to work yeah. out, anything yeah. to avoid whatever it is Correct. that might happen in my body and mm-hmm. in my mind. And some people use the negative numbers and some people use toxic positivity. Yeah. Which is, oh, this isn't really that bad. Yeah. Oh, this will be fine. Oh, I've gone through this before. This is fine. I will say that I love it when people have, or just me personally, not just other people, but a frame of reference where I can say, I've seen this play out before. I trust that we'll get through this process. That's great. That's completely different. But people who are like, this isn't pain. Mm -hmm. Oh, you see all that pain over there? That's not pain. Mm -hmm. This is, life is great. Um, The universe has our back. Um, And they throw out a bunch of stuff at you to make you feel feel better about something you're not supposed to feel better about quite yet. Yeah. Because pain and the grief process is transformative. It transforms us into the people we are supposed to become. Yeah. And I don't mean that like in a, that we're not already who we are supposed to be. What I mean is there is a growth and a um, experience that we're having that will help us transform to yeah. the next place. Yeah. It will get us stronger. It will help us understand our insides. And toxic positivity is this spiritual bypassing of like jumping over this experience instead of really integrating what's occurring. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, right now, and we have to be careful um, because you know my heart is, as as most people all over the world, I do not feel alone, is struggles with what's going on in Ukraine. And I had kind of a, um, a breakdown about it on Friday because sometimes, um, and I don't think this is just me, I think people who who kind of tune into people and are empaths or I don't care, sensitive, you kind of sometimes feel the pain of the world really intensely. Sure. And that is, it sucks. And it's also really great because you're really connected to the world, Mm -hmm. but initially it just sucks. And I can either be like, I shouldn't feel this way. This isn't my issue. I don't live there. I feel powerless to do anything about it. I feel powerless. It's horrible. Or I start by cracking that denial and saying, I'm sad or I'm angry. You've seen, like, all you have to do, Ted, for us to have this conversation, because you understand grief as well as anybody, but just think about the conversations you and I have where you watch me go through these stages. Mm-hmm. Like when I come in really hot mm-hmm. and angry about something, mm-hmm. this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. This, this, there's reasons this shouldn't be happening. This is not okay. I used to get um, teased when I worked at uh, Lurie Children's Hospital because on my team, I would say that all the time. This is not okay. Mm-hmm. This is, and people would be like, we know. Yeah. Um, this is not okay. This is not okay. And then obviously trying to fix it, you know, the bargaining piece. And then I get really sad, mm-hmm. you know, like such a depletion. Yeah. Um, but every stage has a purpose and there is like, and I think when we're getting to acceptance and sometimes we go back and forth even from there, but there is an, we have basically, and I, I write about this in the book, it's like someone breaks all your parts yeah. and you're all over the floor yeah. and you're trying to put them back together. And when you put them back together, just like a bone that's Mm -hmm. been broken, you're stronger. Now you're cracked, meaning that something happened where some of your innocence isn't there anymore, where you you see the world differently. You might be a little more like, ah, questioning of things, but you're also stronger and more resilient and you've walked through the fire, okay? And we can do this with the big issues in our life, but I also think that we need to remember that process in the smaller issues because then... 
we don't resort to blaming others or projection. And there is a maybe an acceptance of this is going to hurt for a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of like when someone puts alcohol on a yeah. cut, yeah. it's going to hurt. Yeah. But it's also like, the last thing I'll say is that part of the problem of Western culture with grief is that we consider it a problem and Eastern culture considers grief the solution. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's deep right there, right? Right. Well, and I'm just thinking, you know, I'm looking at Michael Keaton right now on yeah. my computer. So Michael Keaton just last night won the award for, I don't know, best supporting best actor, actor in best a miniseries, actor. yeah. And he did a show, a move, a miniseries called Dope Sick. Oh, it's so good. It's from last year, yeah. I think. And I heard about it and nobody told me to watch it. So I didn't watch it. And then Kathy started watching the first episode. Andrea, my friend Andrea told me to watch it. And it is a sobering, tough watch. So let me just say this. So Todd and I are always trying new shows. Like people will tell us to watch something and we'll start and we'll be like, eh, like we usually get in one or two. We're not big quitters. But we can tell, Todd and I know each other so well with shows, like we know what gets us into a show. Right. And it was, it, it, we've tried a lot that we have stopped. Yeah. The first 20 minutes of Dope Sick, I knew you would love it. And I knew I loved it. Yeah. But it's got real life story, yep. which we love. It's somewhat of a Dave, David and Goliath story. Yep. It's got- Severe injustice. Severe injustice, um, disregard for people- it's got Michael Keaton, who is our favorite actor of all time. Um, and we were just like, the, and it is these people doing something about this problem. There are justice warriors in the movie. Yes. So it reminded me a lot of Spotlight, which Michael Keaton is also in, mm -hmm. um, where I think I've said this before on the show, but I watch Spotlight more than any other movie. Such a good movie. And sometimes when I tell people that, they're like, oh my God, it's about like Catholic you know, yeah. priests abusing children. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, yes. It's about the, it's about the team. It's about the team. Yeah. It's about the journalistic team. And I, through 2016 to 2020, mm -hmm. had to watch that movie a lot. So um, so just for those uh, who might not know what Dope Sick is, it's the story about Oxycontin. Is that the name of the Oxycontin. drug? Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. And um, the availability and the design of the drug. And it's what, eight parts? And it's mm -hmm. a really... I, 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 Michael Keaton, Skyler just asked me who's my favorite actor of all time. And, you know, I love Tom Hanks and I love Leo and, but Michael Keaton is my favorite and I hold him on a, this pedestal. And I was surprised that somebody of his caliber won all these Oscars was in this, was in this mini series. And we, you know, I'm about to play a clip as to what helped him decide whether or not he wanted to do this. He didn't this. win an Oscar. He has won Oscars. For what? Hasn't he? No. He didn't win for... Did he win for... He, he won for Birdman, I he think. He did win for Birdman? I think so. And then I... I think Birdman won Best Picture. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, but he's highly decorated in many ways, yeah. And I'm pretty sure he's got an Oscar. Okay, you might be right. Um, so I, this is a four and a half minute clip, which I'm not going to play because it's too long. But this is... I, I think I'm catching it at the right spot. I might have okay. to rewind, but here we go. Yep, not so much. I am blessed to be able to do something that might improve someone's life. I'm the most fortunate person. I swear to God, I'm so grateful for things like this. This is nice. I will tell you, we have a fellow actor in Zelensky who deserves some credit tonight for fighting the fight. 
I've sent out my preemptive thanks to everyone involved in this, especially Marnie. But mostly, given the subject matter, This is for my nephew, Michael, and my sister, Pam. I lost Michael. I lost my nephew, Michael, to drugs, and it hurts. This is for my sister, Pam. Thanks. Mm. I couldn't, the first time I listened to that, we were, Todd and I were like crying this morning because we were watching all these things in Ukraine and all these, these speech. Like, I feel like before I start my day, I have to like have a good cry about things in the world. I think it's cleansing. Oh, for sure. I that's think why it's I'm good. So, that's why I am very hard on myself because I live with somebody who's very good at this process of emoting through tears. And I think it's such an important aspect of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting, uh, it's it's happening with more frequency yeah, now than it, it ever has mm -hmm. in my life, except for when I was a little kid. But I think it's completely cleansing, and that's mm -hmm. why I get mad that I can't do it more often. Well, and I think there's it's twofold. I think that the the crying comes very quickly for me, um, which again, when I was a child, was a problem. So you you know, it's like the back and forth, right? Um, but just what is cleansing, I think, is. I don't wake up and then grab my phone and look at bad news. Right. That's not what I do. But once I kind of get my bearings and everything and, you know, I want to read about what's happening and I want to look it in the eye yeah. and I want to um, watch something that makes me cry because that inspires me. Because what Michael Keaton did is he lost his nephew. We saw 60 Minutes about it where he talks about it more, um, you know, he, he gives more of the story. And so you know what he did is he took his skill set, which is acting, and he said, yes, I will do this movie about OxyContin because this could start a conversation that could change things. And he was right. And he wasn't the only one who jumped in to start the conversation. That's why there's so many heroes in Dope Sick. Um, but I just, that's what we have to do. You use what you have yeah. to make a change. And that grief the experience his nephew had, which was probably obviously named after him, yep. right? We don't know this for sure, but his name was Michael. Um, he used it, and this is David Kessler's sixth state of grief. Uh, so in grief, we have five stages from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Yeah. The Kubler-Ross like foundation gave David Kessler, who's also, he worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, permission to have the sixth stage of grief be meaning. Mm -hmm. So they were, are in agreement about this. Now, if you read a textbook, it still usually only has five, but if you read David Kessler's work, he incorporates meaning as the sixth stage. Which I'm a big fan of. Michael Keaton has incorporated meaning yes. and said, I'm going to go out there and, and talk about this. Tell a story. And use this to save other kids. Yeah. Um, and, and we've heard so many different examples of yeah. this, like when something tragic happens yeah. to somebody, yeah. um, with the Amber Alerts, mm -hmm. whoever the parents are that yep. lost their daughter, yep. they created Amber Alerts. John Walsh. John Walsh. America's, what is it? Uh, most Wanted. Most Wanted. Yeah. yeah. That is, those are obvious pop culture yeah. examples of giving meaning or somebody who is abused as a child who now counsels 
uh, perpetrators and victims of abuse. Moms demand. Moms I mean, demand. so many people in moms demand have lost children yeah. to gun violence or they have experienced it themselves or they've lost partners or whatever it may be. Like we get our inspiration, unfortunately, sometimes from the worst thing that ever happened to us. But then we take it and we go out there and change the world. And so let's take this big concept and narrow it down to our homes again. Let's mm -hmm. bring it back into our house. If we don't let our kids go through these processes, the smaller version, grief with a smaller G, mm -hmm. where they like go through a loss or don't get on a team or get an F on a test and they have to go through all these stages, then they don't know what to do with it. They don't know. They just kind of feel like other people will solve this or I don't have to look at this or this is not about me or project and blame other people instead of walking through the whole process and making meaning out of it. And then they take that with them to college or they take that with them into the workforce or they take that with them into a relationship. Mm -hmm. The hardest part though, Todd, is we have to sometimes be in the messy middle of it. Which is terribly uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Like I struggle with it. So, you know, like I'm so understanding and have such a high respect for grief. Mm. Like I don't see it as something to avoid. I do see it as the solution. And I don't like it. Yeah. So when you cried on Thursday, were you really enjoying yourself? No. Right? I was in pain. Yeah. I'm, I, the, the stages are not cognitive. Mm -hmm. It's body. It's body. It's, this is what I'm feeling. I don't have any choice. And that mind-body connection is huge yeah. when it comes to grief because your body not only allows you to have those releases, but it also tells you what to do next. Yeah. And sometimes you need to lay down. Like, I remember Liz Gilbert. Oh, God, I just love Liz Gilbert's writing. When her partner died, when Rhea died. So she took, she fell in love um, with her best friend and they were partners while Rhea was dying. So Liz took care of her and was with her when she died. And she kind of was present with us while she was grieving. She was writing blogs and sharing posts on Facebook. And my God, somebody who can put words to something that you just get. Yeah. I have never had her personal experience of that. But those the words she was able to share about what grief feels like and that you just, she would say things like, you have to let it have its way. Yeah. Because. So what does that mean to you? You've got to let it blow through. Because mm -hmm. we just, again, denial, first mm -hmm. stage, I don't want to feel that. It scares me. I will get lost. I won't be able to handle it. And another part of denial is really looking at it. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the truth about this? Yeah. And one thing I know with myself, with you, with my kids... We all have a role in it. Doesn't mean it's our fault, whatever we're grieving. There's peace. If we just look to the outside world and project and say it's everybody else's fault that these things happened, yes, there's some truth to that, but there's also like, who, who was I yeah. in this process or where was I? And for those of us who are victims of crimes where it has nothing to do with us, that's not part of it then. Yeah. That's more about like, finding our way through not becoming cynical people about the world. Mm -hmm. So. Grief is very different. Like there's, we are not always like part of the problem. Sure. But in certain situations, there are things we can learn. And that's why we become 
stronger, better, more. What, what is wisdom? Experience. Experience. And learning from it. Yeah. And I guess my um, example is I've shared so many times on this podcast that I consume my 10 or 15, 10 minutes uh, of a podcast in the morning to find out the world news mm-hmm. or the news of the day. Mm-hmm. And then I have an, I get an email uh, from a few different sources. The skim? Daily Skim, and I actually just subscribed to Axios, um, which is kind of supposedly a very balanced way of communicating the news. Okay. It's really good. Okay. And I've subscribed to the sports section of Axios. It's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, But with this Russia-Ukraine thing, for me, I'm like, this this is history book stuff. Totally. This is like... Totally. This is like um, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington moments... And Zelensky is like the George Washington of the story. And I feel like, and I don't know how the story is going to end. Nobody knows Nobody how the story is going to end. But um, I felt responsible to look at the yep. imagery on the news. Absolutely. I felt it was irresponsible of me to hide behind my 10 minutes of consumption reading an email in the morning. I felt like I owed it to the people of Ukraine to, to observe the images and be able to, and be informed about it so that I can talk to my, I, I started conversations with my friends yep. about it. Yep. Here we are with talking our kids. Up, with our mm-hmm. kids. Here we are talking about it on the podcast. Um, so there's wisdom even in it for me, like, cause it's so easy for me to be like, I got nothing to do with Russia. I got nothing to do with Ukraine. There's nothing I can do to help this problem out. But this one just kind of like punched me in the gut a little mm-hmm. bit. And um, so, so my learning was, because, you know, the denial, I deny a lot mm-hmm. of what's going on in this world because I feel powerless to do anything about mm-hmm. it. And with this one, I, I could not keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And I might deny that whatever the big story is of the day next week, mm-hmm. like the Oxycontin thing, like I had no idea to the degree of the greed mm. that came as a result the of Sackler family. the Sackler Purdue family. Pharma. Mm-hmm. And I now am better informed and I am better informed to be able to have conversations with my friends who have kids, with my own kids yeah. about the danger of some of these prescribed drugs. I know. So anyways. And, we, and do you see how looking it in the eye gives us information about what to do next? And I don't mean maybe in that moment, but like if... You know, like our kid had her wisdom teeth, or not her wisdom teeth, she had her tonsils out yeah. however many years ago, and they gave us... Uh, the red juice. The red juice, you know, the Oxycontin. It, I, I don't know what it was. Well, Oxycodine? I don't know. It was some heavy stuff. And we, our knowledge and understanding of it was like, okay, for a few days, mm-hmm. you know, just to get through this phase, and then we're going into Tylenol. Yeah. Now, that I'm simplifying something that's bigger. Sure. My point is, is just a little information can sometimes help us make choices. Yes. It all, grief is also, and like looking something in the eye is what gets people out on the streets yeah. for a protest. You know, having cameras available everywhere has changed the way we interact with the world. Duh. That's yeah. a statement under, you know, of course it has yeah. because we can see it. Every big change has been because we've, you know, Vietnam on TV. Mm-hmm. We're like, wait a second. Yeah, this doesn't seem right. You know, Rodney King. Yep. You know, the uh, body cams yep. when it comes to, you know, people Police. being pulled yeah. over. And we see it and we're like, now, wait a second. That's when our body has an emotional experience of grief or anger. We can't deny it anymore. Mm-hmm. We can't not see it. And this, and I want to like be thoughtful about this, Todd, because you and I also do a lot of discussing rest Mm -hmm. 
and not taking the world on our shoulders. Absolutely. There's a balance here too. This is a paradox. So if you've read Zen Parenting, if you've listened to this show, you know that paradox is the closest we can get to reality, Mm -hmm. which means if we deny either side, we are then not in a healthy place. So let me illustrate what I think you're trying to say, the denial of either side. So I'll use my my experience and inflate it even further is I can't do anything about it. So I'm going to tune out of all of it. Mm -hmm. So my global citizenship, I'm not even a part of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm going to not even put it in front of my eyes or my ears or anything else. Mm -hmm. Swing that pendulum all the way the other way. You got somebody who consumes the news 24 24 hours, seven days a week feels awful. Like that ain't healthy. Because if you feel awful all the time and if you are so overwhelmed where you're like crying constantly, you're not helping anybody. Yeah. You're not helping. You're def- you're defeating your own energy now. And this is kind of finding the place in between. Everyone's like, where am I supposed to be? This takes practice. Mm-hmm. This is why we have to look all these things in the eye because I used to go weeks in like the pain of denial and anger and sadness and bargaining and going back and forth. Weeks and weeks about small things. And I have learned, I can't avoid the emotional experience I've had that I'm going to have, but I've, it tends to be more like days now and I can feel it brewing sometimes. I, 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 what I'm trying to say to everyone is you don't have to have my experience personally, but the practice of looking things in the eye and dealing with things and and resting when your body wants to, and then reading things when you feel like you want to be Mm -hmm. more informed and then taking a break from things, all of these things are essential. It is like the word self-care. People don't, you know, we don't really even understand what that means anymore. But self-care is finding this like constantly shifting middle place. And the only way you do that, first of all, there is no perfect balance to this. It's it's stopping and pausing and noticing if you're out of balance. And if you are, make that adjustment. But what I do sometimes is I don't even notice that I'm out of balance. So I just keep going. Right in whatever way that happens to be. Right. One thing I will say about conspiracy theorists, Mm -hmm. you know, is part of the reason people really dig into conspiracies or um, a certain kind of political bent that's really fringy is because they can't deal with the truth of a matter. Yeah. And when we look at certain things like JFK being shot, okay, I don't really, there's, you know, there's a lot of pieces to that, you know, mafia, all sorts of things that may play a role in that process. But the reason why we get wrapped up in all the different conspiracies is because we cannot metabolize the fact that one man changed history Mm. that quickly. Mm -hmm. It's too much for our brains and bodies. It's got to be bigger. People right now who are like deep state, there's like a whole deep state running the government and and there's all this under... They can't... Of course there's like negative underpinnings sure. and things like that. But this whole concept of an organized deep state, it's the belief that something's got to be organized for any of this to be happening. Yeah. And the truth is that life is more uncertain than that. Things are a little more willy-nilly than you think they are. Mm-hmm. Someone turning left instead of right can change an outcome sure. of a situation. And we cannot deal with that. Yeah. That is, And I can't sometimes. This whole book that I wrote, the the subtitle is caring for ourselves in an unpredictable world because I'm working on doing that. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to deal with the uncertainty and unpredictability and still have a, a day to day 
contentment. Yeah. Well, and one thing, and I don't want to understate the impact of COVID. Um, today's Monday. The CDC just came out yeah. with the new regulations. I and, went to Panera to get coffee today and no one's wearing masks. So it's, new it's just Illinois. so funny how, I don't know, I'll speak for myself. A year ago, I'd be like, God, I can't wait for this day. Mm-hmm. And this day has come and yeah. that the CDC said this thing. Yeah. And now my worry just switched over to yeah. the people of Ukraine. Of course. Because, I, I gosh, I've worked this, I talk about this in therapy all the time. You have part of yourself that is on high alert. There's part of yourself that is on high alert so you stay alive Survival. and you survive. It's yeah. threat management. Yeah. It's like a bottomless pit. Mm-hmm. All of us think once this problem gets solved, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. No, you will switch to something else. And that's what you need to be mindful of. Not of, I'm a horrible person because I keep worrying about things. No, you're a human being. But your fear needs something to do. I know. And and the first step is the awareness yes. that our fear right. needs something to do. Because let's say the world um, settles down and we have less to worry about, then I'm going to start worrying about my kid getting into a college, whatever it is. Our grass isn't going to be green enough. Yes. You're going to be like, yeah, we, gotta, we need to mow that and yeah. do that. Like when I think about how things get taken up a notch, like how we are having arguments in our communities about things like masks and we are fighting each other and then we see a war playing out in front of us, yeah. how we, it's not, disregarding ourselves or disregarding things that are important to us, but we see, we have a more heightened awareness of what can go wrong and how dehumanizing people, not treating people with dignity, not being emotionally regulated only adds to the discomfort and challenges in the world. And people feel so righteous about being cruel. And they're like, if I'm right, and there are ways to get your point across and to be heard without having to act in a non-dignified manner. Sure. We, like, you know, I've said this so much in the last week because I've been doing lots of talks or presentations or whatever. The lack of emotional regulation that is out there right now is unbelievable. And the parents who are showing up and saying, this is the right thing to do, and then yelling at people and threatening people and talking about guns and talking about, you know, that they're going to, you know, dox people on the internet or whatever, you're so dysregulated. And your children are watching you, and you think you're doing it for the greater good, and I'm all about doing things for the greater good, but if you're dehumanizing people... Mm -hmm, That's a problem. That's a problem. You know you're off the... Um, Any last things... My darling, I don't know. I just really got going on this one. Yeah, I just, I've, I'm, I just like think that we, this is not toxic positivity. This is optimism. I think we can do this life. Mm-hmm. It is not easy, but there are things we can do and accept to get through life. And I think the things that keep us from thinking that is powerlessness, mm-hmm. like you said, where we're like, that's the thing when I've seen in clients or my kids where I'm like, okay, that's where we got to f- focus is you may not be able to change this, this, or this, but you are not powerless. You're not going to go out in the world and overpower people. Sure. What you're going to do is use your energy for something that's healthy. Yeah. Michael Keaton said, I'm going to go do this movie. Yeah. You know, our kids saying, nope, I didn't make that team, but I'm going to focus on my grades right now, or I'm going to go do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are not powerless, but you you have to look at the truth of something in order to 
to really shift build gears. upon it or sh- take or make a shift. And I think the grief process is a is a part of it's a tool of shifting. It's a it hurts. Um, it's healing. It's reintegrating. It's like our, all of our puzzle pieces are knocked all over the floor and we have to figure out how to put them back together to become human again. But the process gets us there. Yeah. So that, that's my last deep thought. A few other things. Uh, Team Zen, it's something Kathy and I have created. Um, it's a community of parents and we connect um, together twice a month mm-hmm. on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And we just have open organic discussions. We'd love to see you. First month is free. Type in the coupon code FRIEND. And then Men Living, it's community guys uh, connecting deeply and living fully. Go to menliving.org. And last, oh, sweeties. If you have this book or this Kindle or this audiobook and you liked it, if you liked it, if it was helpful to you in some way, then please give it a five-star review. I'm asking for that. It's not something I usually do. But it makes such a big difference in like the book getting um, seen. Seen. Yeah. Um, we used to think that was the case with podcasts, and someone told us it wasn't. Yeah, the reviews aren't really that big of a deal. Right. Kind of nice. But it's like subscribing is. Yes. So if you haven't scri- subscribed to Zen Parenting, do that. But it's like the tool. So anyway, but if you if you like it, you know, if you don't, just yeah, it's good. It's fine. Buy the book, <laughs> and if you uh, like it, write a review and share the book with somebody else, or tell yeah. somebody about it. Uh, last but not least, uh, Jeremy Kraft. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. His company name is Avid. So go to avidco.net and tell him Todd and Kathy sent you. And he's a bald-headed beauty, by the way. He so, is. I haven't seen him in a long time. I know. It's, uh, he's. He will be around soon, I think. Mm-hmm. Got a feeling. Oh, are we doing something to the house? No, 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 no. Nothing like that, sweetie. This oh. house is perfect. I got excited. I was like, what? No, nothing. All right. Uh, keep trucking, everybody. And don't forget, this is available, I think, either on Vimeo or YouTube. So you can check us out there. The link will be in the show notes. So keep trucking. Love you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.